You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today we're very excited to have a special guest speaker with us. Now let's prepare our hearts as our special guest brings forth God's truth from His Word today. It's good to see everybody. If you would, take your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I feel sorry for the couple who's moving to Wisconsin. I used to live there. The only bad part about moving to Wisconsin is you have to go through Chicago to get there. <laughs> hey, that Chicago traffic is terrible. Had a, one of our members recently says, hey, preacher, we're going on vacation to Wisconsin. I said, what are you going on vacation to Wisconsin for? He says, we want to get some Wisconsin cheese. I'm thinking, you get that anywhere. You can go to the grocery store and get it. But anyways, Wisconsin's a good place. I got some awesome friends there. I want to challenge you this morning on the areas that most people uh, struggle the most. There's two areas that Christians struggle the most in, and that's the area of faith and the area of separation. I'm going to concentrate this morning on the area of separation. You may have heard somebody ask this question. No, not a question, but make a statement. You think you're better than me, or you think you're better than us. Usually when somebody says something like that, they're usually either backslidden, a backslidden Christian, or they're not saved to begin with. But there's a truth to that that you and I need to understand. Our answer is usually a, uh, uh, a quick response. No, no, I don't think that, that way at all. And, and we don't, and that's good. You're not supposed to. Because all we are is we're sinners saved by grace. Amen? Amen. We're sinners saved by grace. But you need to understand there's truth to their statement. And the sense are, we are better. I'm going to ask this question. I want you to think about that. Before you got saved, what were you looking for? Before I got saved, I was looking for something better than myself. I was looking for something that higher, had better ways and higher ways than I was already living. I know that when I read the Bible, uh, the Bible said this, and my life said that. They weren't the same. I didn't get saved to stay where I was at. I got saved for a better way and a higher way. Amen? Amen. And that comes through Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ, he is our righteousness. He is our sanctification. He is our redemption. He is our wisdom. And the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 55 that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts than our thoughts. In Corinthians chapter 1, it also says that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. And when I got saved, I didn't attain to the wisdom of man. I didn't even attain to the foolishness of God. But through the word of God and through that spiritual birth, we are to attain to the wisdom of God and his ways. That's something to think about. So when we get into this area of separation, you and I, we need to learn where to draw the lines. People say, well, preacher, there's a lot of gray areas out there. We're going to take this passage and we're going to look at it, look at certain words in it, and we're going to dissect it so that you can look at the meanings of the words so you know where to draw the line. For instance, let me ask this question. Let me make this statement first. I had uh, uh, somebody that we knew. I met him in, in Sam's Club. This woman was there, and, and I recognized the two men that she was with. They're homosexuals. And she's in line with these homosexuals. Uh, and I, I pull up to the line and I look and I say, hey, and call her by name. She turns around. She turns her back and looks at the friends. She was embarrassed, completely embarrassed. And then she turned her back to her friends and walks up to me. Can you believe it? They're getting married tomorrow. Wow. My first thought is, what are you doing with them? 
is that a cake on the, the conveyor belt? I didn't say any of that. What she was doing is she was assisting them. She was helping them buy stuff and plan the reception for the wedding the next day. My friend, where do you draw the lines and stuff? For instance, let me give you some, th some things to think about. To what degree do we separate from the world, from our unsaved friends, from unsaved family? Where do you draw the line when it comes to activities and sports? For instance, taking little Johnny and Susie to T-ball on a Wednesday night when you have church or a Sunday when everybody's supposed to be in the house of God. Is it okay to miss church for that? Is it okay to have a social drink? I know there's businessmen, they're Christian businessmen, and they go all over the world, and they feel like they're insulting them if they don't accept that drink. It's not acceptable for the child of God. What I've learned, I've traveled all over the world, what I've learned is I say no, and if they are insulted, that's tough. Because what I've learned about that is they make it a game to try to bring you down. They think it's funny. And they'll use their money and they'll use their power to do that. Don't do stuff like that. Is it okay for that? What about medical marijuana? Just about everybody knows somebody that's in pain, MS or, or back problems, whatever. They use medical marijuana. Jackson's full of all of it. But where do you draw the line? Then you go from there. You go to recreational marijuana, which we've seen here. Now, some of these things are just simple, basic things that probably all of you have settled in your heart and mind. But then you go to the deeper things. If you don't settle it on these things, then you move down to the even worse decisions. What about uh, uh, recreational marijuana? What about abortion? Is it okay uh, in the case of incest or rape? Is abortion okay? Um, is it okay to attend gay w weddings? Do you see somewhere we got to learn to, where do we draw that line in the sand? The passage that I'm going to give you today, it's going to give you some key words. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to begin at verse 14. But before we read it, I want you to underline in your Bible five key words. Underline the word fellowship. Underline the word communion. Underline the word concord. The word part. And the word agreement. And not, not only that, as we read, there's associations with each one. The first one, fellowship, is associated with righteousness and unrighteousness. So let's begin reading in verse 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. <clears throat> let's see how all of this plays together and we, where we need to learn what God thinks about these things, where we draw the lines of separation in our life. Be ye not unequally yoked together. It's not an equal yoke. He says it's an unequal yoke. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So it's a relationship between believers and unbelievers. And he says, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? <clears throat> what communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial or the devil? Then it goes, all right, let's, let's get more simple. Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, unsaved person? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Then he says, for ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I think it's a blessing, a privilege to be saved. That's part of the grace of God. 
When we get saved, our lives are to turn around. They're to change. Our ways are to be higher ways than, the, than when we came out of. In today's society, we see that we live in a society where the majority wants to become a minority, and the minority cries out discrimination and demands equality. But the Bible says that when it comes between a Christian and a non-Christian, and if you're saved, you've been a non-Christian in the past, there is no equality. There's no equality in a yoke. We are not equal. In fact, there's, they are polar opposites, one from another. You see, when I got saved, I got saved from my sins. And the lost man is still in his sins. I'm free from my sins. I'm not in bondage like the lost man. When I die, I'm going to heaven. When the lost man dies, he's going to hell. People don't like to hear that word, but that's the truth of the matter. The lost man dies, he's going straight to hell. I'm a follower of the king of righteousness, Jesus Christ, the one who died, was buried, and rose again, the one who paid for all my sins. He is nothing but truth. But the, the people of the world, they follow the father of all lies. There's a difference. The difference between the Christian and non-Christian, the way we're to live, is a night and day difference. When I got saved, God saved me and gave me a better way, and I'm supposed to follow truth and righteousness, and so are you. Look at verse 14 again. He says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. All right? That yoke is not the same. It's not equal. Can I get two young guys up here? All right? Let me uh, pick on two. Any volunteers, first of all? I need you to come quick. All right, I'm going to point to those two boys in the blue shirt. Come on up here real quick. Run. Now, we understand what a yoke is. You put a yoke on a couple of oxen to do a work. Come on over here, guys. As a child of God, let's pick on this guy. Do you want to be a Christian or a non-Christian right now? All right, you're a Christian. <laughs> Smart man. All right. The Christian is going in this direction. I'm sorry, but you're lost. All right. He's going in this direction. Now, I don't have a yoke to put on him, so let's pretend this is a yoke. Don't choke each other, all right? Now, they're going in opposite directions. As a non-Christian, I was hell-bound. I was going the wrong way. Let's say these, this Christian is yoked up with a non-Christian, and as they walk forward, walk forward, guys. Just keep going, walking forward. Keep walking forward. Keep walking forward. That's life when a Christian and a non-Christian is yoked up together. They get nowhere. Thank you, guys. You can be dizzy and go sit down. <laughs> All right. They go nowhere in life. That's what life is like. Anytime a Christian gets yoked up with a non-Christian, you're going in circles. You're not getting anywhere. You're wasting your time. Sometimes you cause more harm than good. And that we are not to be in that yoke. He says it's an unequal yoke. Now, as he begins here, verse 14, he uses the word fellowship. Let's read it. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Righteousness, I do right because I'm saved. And because I learn what the right things are, are, are because I get into the word of God, I listen to the preacher, and uh, his ways become my ways, all right? But the unrighteous is very destructive. They're the ways that we come out of. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Be not deceived. Then he lists some things of unrighteousness. He says, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, and that's, uh, uh, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Those are the ways of the unrighteous. Those are the ways of the world. And I come out of that. You come out of that when you're saved. So, but the ways of the righteous, if you look down to verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 6, he says, and such were, that's past tense, such were some of you. Something's changed in our life. He says, but you're washed, you're sanctified, and I love this, you're justified in the name of our Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. When we get saved, something changes in our life. We're saved, we're justified by the name of Jesus Christ. We're washed, our sins are washed away as far as the east is from the west. It changes, so there ought to be a difference. We come out of that, that's what sanctification is. You come out of that, so there's got to be a change in your heart and your life. And what happens is the work that uh, begins through sanctification is Jesus Christ begins to conform you to his own image. You see that in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We also see that this, this, this change when you accept Christ as your Savior in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul tells them, he says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So our ways are to be higher ways. A lot of things change in our life. Another thing that happens is God becomes our God. Something else that happens, I quoted it earlier, Isaiah 55, verse 8. God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord, for as high as the, uh, the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. And we are to attain to his ways. And it's easier for us because of the spiritual birth that takes place in the Christian. You're being led and guided by the Holy Spirit. And so he becomes your guide. Psalmist said in Psalm 94, 20, uh, shall the throne of the iniquity have fellowship with you? No, because it's a new way. So he talks about uh, the fellowship that we, we have. He said, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? There is no fellowship. Nothing goes right when the two get together. And yet people do it all the time in business, even in marriage. I can change him. I can change her. It doesn't work. Then the next word in verse 14, he uses the word communion. Let's read it again. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Then he says, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion, notice what he uses, hath light with darkness? What communion? You say, preacher, what does that word communion mean? All right, keep your finger here. Go to Genesis 34. The word communion has the idea, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, of a deep, intimate relationship with someone. A deep, intimate relationship with them. Is there to be a deep, intimate relationship with the saved and the unsaved? Or with light and darkness? No, light and darkness, obviously not. And that's what he's trying to get, get across to us. In Genesis chapter 34, we see something takes place. Here's Jacob or Israel. He's got his 12 sons. He's got one daughter. And something takes place where she, Dinah, she is defiled. 
by this young man called Shechem. Now, God wants to do something very special in the life of Israel. They're going to become a great nation. They are set apart unto God for something that's going to be spectacular. They're going to become a great nation, the people of God. So they can't intermingle. God wants to use them just like he wants to use us. He has set them apart for something special. Look at verse 1. I want you to notice the words that are used here, communion and clave and, and things like that. And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. First mistake. And when Shechem, the son of Hamar, uh, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. And his soul, notice the word, clave unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. And he loved the damsel and spake kindly unto the damsel. And Shechem spake unto his father Hamar, saying, Get me this damsel to wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now the sons were, uh, were with his cattle in the field, and Jacob held his peace until they were come. And Hamar, the father of Shechem, went out unto Jacob. Notice the word to commune. Now they're talking. This is a very private conversation. This is an intimate conversation. Guys, I want to tell you what happened. It was one of those things, didn't want to get it out. This is embarrassing for the family. We need to deal with this. How are we going to deal with this? He communed with them, and the sons of Jacob came out of the field when they heard, heard it, and the men were grieved and very wroth and angry because he had wrought folly in Israel in line with Jacob's daughter, that, uh, which thing ought not to be done. And Hamart communed with them. Now, this conversation, this is going to be a private one. This is going to be a secret. This is one where I'm begging, I'm yearning. We want to come close together. He communed with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longeth for your daughter. I pray you give her him to wife. Now, how close does he want to be? He says it. And make ye marriages with us, and give your daughters unto us, and take our daughters unto you. And ye shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you, and dwell and trade ye therein, and get your possessions therein. So we see the word commune here, and both times it's kind of a, a private thing. It's a close thing. The conversations that they're sharing together, hey, Let's, let's bring ourselves together. Let's bring our peoples together. Let's share together. How, how close do you want to be? Let's have our kids marry within uh, each other. Oh, my word. And the point of this entire thing is that the word communion, light and dark, have nothing so intimate together. They are such extreme polar opposites because what d darkness does when darkness comes in the picture, it brings, it, it shades the, dark, the light. It makes the light darker and darker and darker until it's complete darkness. But light, light chases away the darkness. The darkness flees away from the light. So there is no intimacy between them. So we've seen the word fellowship. Is there fellowship? Is there the same interest between the righteous and the unrighteous? Is there a communion, an intimacy between light and darkness? Those are things that you personally are going to have to decide. That's part of the decision making that every Christian needs to think through when you're deciding, should I do this? Should I not? Where do I draw the line in this matter? The next word in verse uh, 15, let's start at 14, where it says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Skip down to verse 15. And what concord hath Christ with Belial. What concord hath Jesus Christ 
with the devil. You say, preacher, I don't know what that word conquered means. That word conquered means being of the same mind, being in harmony with. Is Jesus Christ in harmony with the devil? Is Jesus Christ of the same mind of Satan? Or is Satan of the same mind of Jesus Christ? No, not at all. Satan wanted to destroy Jesus Christ. Back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, there was a promise given because Satan had defiled man and tempted man, and man sinned and destroyed his relationship with God. God gave a promise that the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, would crush the head of Satan. There is nothing there that's harmonious between the two. They cannot be of the same mind. One of the greatest illustrations that we have in the Bible deals with marriage. Keep your finger in Corinthians. Let me give you two passages to turn to real quick. 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, and Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Marriage, there's an intention there where in marriage, when the two become one, they need to be harmonious. They need to have the same mind. Because a man and wife coming together, they need to function as one. When one is trash-talking the other, you cannot be harmonious. And they have to uplift each other. And God's guidelines in the Word of God, where it talks of she's to submit herself to Him, and He's to love her, the, 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 the idea is each one exalting the other, uplifting the other. And I know, and you know people too, where the wife trash talks the husband and the husband trash talks the wife. That's not a good marriage. It's just, it's frustration. Nothing good becomes of it. There's nothing harmonious in there. But everybody loves to, to watch a good marriage where through the years they are just one. They're all, they're still loving each other after their 30th or 40th or 50th anniversary. You think, boy, I want to be like that. I want my relationship with my spouse to be like that one. That's great. And you see through the years, yes, every couple has its ups and its downs. But through the years, they, they last and they, uh, they're standing on their feet. So he says in 1 Peter 3, 7, Husband, likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according... What's the next word, folks? Knowledge of the same mind. Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as the weaker vessel, <clears throat> and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Here it is. If you're of the same mind, you're working together for the cause of Christ. Your marriage is to be used of God in a powerful way. God's grace is to be in you, and God's grace is to work through you. And your marriage ought to be powerful. And so in order for that to happen, there's two different mindsets here. The husband has to dwell with his wife according to knowledge. Learn her. I got a joke about that. <laughs> uh, there was a man stranded on an island. And he's stranded on the island, and he finds, he, he prays up to God and says, God, uh, would, you, would you just grant me one wish? And God says, all right, I'll give you one, one, one uh, wish. And he says, all right, God, would you, I'm on this island. Would you make me a bridge from here all the way across the ocean to the mainland? God says, you know, I could do that, but that's pretty tough. W what else? G give me something more easier. Would you help me to understand wisdom? He says, do you want two lanes or four lanes? Come on, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, anyways, the, I, I blew that one. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, 
verse 28, Ephesians 5, 28. And Ephesians 5, 28 says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. You know, when we come to a place, guys, we do love ourselves. We like our toys. We like our toy things. But we're to love our wives equally as our own selves. Then he says, that's talking about being in harmony. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man yet ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. That means living in harmony with. So the word conquered has to be of the same mind. Can you have the same mind with the people of the devil, the people of the world? You see, I'm a child of God. The people of the world, they're the children of the devil. They're the children of wrath. I used to be that until I accepted Christ. They can have the same spiritual birth that I have if they choose Jesus Christ. So, no, they cannot be of the same mind. So that's something you've got to look at. You've got to challenge yourself in your decision-making. Where shall I draw the line? Go to Psalms 94. Psalms 94. We're to walk as one with Jesus Christ. We're not to walk as one with the world. Jesus and Satan cannot walk together as one. Neither can a child of God walk together as one with the unbeliever. Here in Psalm chapter 94, in chapter 93, we see that God reigns. He's the God uh, uh, and he's on the throne. But in 94, the question is asked, how long shall the wicked triumph? How long do they believe they can continue in sin and get away with it? So many who call themselves Christians act as if they can disobey God and God will not respond. But Psalms 94 deals with that. Notice verse 8. Understand ye brutish among the people, and ye fools, when will ye be wise? He that planteth the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? He that chastiseth the heathen, shall, he, shall not he correct? Then he says, he that teacheth man knowledge, shall he not know? The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man, and that they are vanity. Blessed is the man whom the Lord chasteneth. O Lord, that, mean, that word chasteneth means correct. O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law, that thou mayest give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit be digged. See, people think they can do sin and get away with it. God says, no, I see. People think they can talk and say all kinds of garbage. God says, no, I hear. God says, not only that, but I will correct. I will chasten. The day does come, and that's what God is saying. So what we've seen, there's no fellowship between the righteous and unrighteous, no common interest. There's no communion or no intimacy between light and darkness. There's no concord or harmony between having the same mind between Jesus and the devil. Then it uses in chapter uh, 2 Corinthians 6, it uses the word part. He says here in verse 15, Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Go over with me to Ezra chapter 4. That word part means to be a piece of the same thing. Are we a piece of the same thing? No. I was spiritually born again. We're to die to the flesh. We're to be alive unto Jesus Christ. We're not to be a piece, a part of the same thing. We ask ourselves, what is an infidel? I saw a guy in the mall one day. He had a T-shirt that says he was an infidel. I believed him. 
But you say, what is an infidel? It's a non-believer. Now, the Muslims say that we are infidels, but no, it's a non-believer in Jesus Christ. That's what an infidel is. And in Ezra chapter 4, verse 1, I want you to notice this. He says here in this passage, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, then they came to Zerubbabel and the chief of the fathers and said to them, Let us build with you. Notice that. Who's asking? Zerubbabel them, they've been commissioned to go in and build the temple. Remember, there's 70 years where Daniel was in captivity and, and uh, 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 Nebuchadnezzar had gone in to destroy Israel. Now the time's come when, when the word is sent for them to go back and start building again. So Zerubbabel and Ezra, they're the first ones to go back. They start with the house of God. The walls come a few years later in the book of Nehemiah. So they're starting to build back the temple. That's where we start in our Christian life is you need to be born again first. So they start back, and then the enemy comes in. Hey, let us build with you. He says there, let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do. Do they? No, they don't. And we do sacrifice unto them uh, since the days of Asherhaden, king of Asher, which brought us up hither. But Zerubbabel, I love his answer, and Joshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said to them, ye have nothing to do with us to build a house under our God. You have no part with us. There's no part at all that you have. And he was a very wise man to do that. Because that's true. The world has no part with what we're doing. Does the world like your church? Does the world like Sycamore Baptist Church? No, they don't. Why? What, it, it, we're strange to them. There's no agreement whatsoever. They don't understand. The Bible says that the natural man understands not the things of God. We're a stumbling block to them. And uh, we're foolishness to them. But we are the wisdom of God in this world. And so there is no uh, part that we have with them. So the fellowship, the communion, the part, conquered, the part. Notice the next one, uh, agreement. Verse 16, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Is there any sort of agreement whatsoever, all right, with the temple of God? Um, do we agree with them? Does God's house agree with the, 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 the religions of the world? No. The reason we're independent Baptists is because we're independent. We're not going to let them tell us how to preach and what to teach in our services. We want to preach and teach the Word of God. But there's a lot of churches out there, they don't preach and teach the Word of God. Somebody came up and, and told one of our members, uh, well, they were talking, invited them to church. What church you go to? We go to Sycamore Baptist. Oh, you're a Baptist. You're those people that you read the Bible. Oh, I said, amen. Amen. That's right. You're the people that study the Bible. You know your Bible. I like being known for that, don't you? That Because the Word of God, it brings freedom. So there is no agreement. And so when we come to a place... Where you're challenged in this area, not of faith, but of separation. I want you to look at this passage with new light. Look at it and look at the words. Fellowship, agreement, part, concord. Do we, are, are we the same with them? Are we in the middle? No, we are polar opposites. And I want you to remember, why did you get saved? Why did you come to Christ? 
Did you do it to stay the way you were? No, I didn't. I didn't want anything to do with the way I used to be. I want, wanted something better than I was. I wanted something higher than I was. And I found it in Jesus Christ. Amen. Where do you draw the lines? Let's all stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.